Section 12 of Biographical Memoir of John Wesley Powell, 1834 to 1902, by William Morris Davis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 12 Lands of the Arid Region. Powell's large share in promoting a correct knowledge of the arid parts of the United States and their possible utilization will not be realized by readers today unless they recall the time when so much was said about taking the words Great American Desert off of the map. This name was, during a period of early exploration, recklessly extended over vast areas of the West which are by no means completely desert. But as the frontier was pushed westward half a century ago, the restriction of the name was hardly less reckless than its extension. The existence of a desert was actually denied, although there certainly is a large space in the west and southwest, truly not altogether devoid of vegetation, but permanently desert in the economic sense, whatever its name. It was, of course, open to occupation in a limited manner, as nearly all deserts are. Settlers who advanced into the dry country soon recognized that certain small areas in nearly every part of it could be redeemed by irrigation, and that much larger areas were not so barren but that wandering herds of cattle could subsist on their scanty herbage, provided that water was not too distant. Thus the region began to have a better reputation than it deserved, and curiously enough, about coincident with the wave of rapid immigration into the pasturage area of the Great Plains in the 70s and 80s, there was a period of increasing rainfall in that subhumid region, which was taken by many, even by army officers who ought to have known better, to result from plowing the soil, laying rails, or stretching telegraph wires, and therefore regarded as a permanent improvement of climate. Farming was, for a time, successful, and this was enormously advertised. Thousands of settlers, accustomed to farming on the moist prairies of the Mississippi Valley, attempted in good faith to establish themselves on the drier plains, only to be driven away with bitter disappointment and heavy loss when a few years later, a period of less rainfall, caused the failure of their crops. The irrigated areas naturally had better fortune, especially the larger undertaking of the Mormons in Utah and of the Greeley district in Colorado. These advantageously located areas are permanent assets of immense value to the West, and much profit now comes from many similar but smaller areas. But even the greenest spots in the most barren wilderness were always called settlements, and never oases. In various parts of the arid region, the latter name would have been quite as appropriate as it is in the Sahara, but its connotation of a surrounding desert was too manifest to make it acceptable. Powell told the truth about the dry country and advocated a comprehensive plan whereby its real values might be developed. It was at his suggestion that Congress appointed a commission to study the physical and economic conditions of the arid region, and he gave two years to this work. We have no narrative of his western journeys in this connection, but the results were published in a most important report on the lands of the arid regions of the United States, 
1879, to which Gilbert, Dutton, and Thompson contributed chapters. Few reports have had a greater value in pointing out the direction of safe and sound progress. The first edition of 1,800 copies was soon exhausted, and a second edition of 5,000 was issued. The area treated was about four-tenths of that of the United States, and the report was the first comprehensive study of the kind issued in this country. Today, it is recognized as a classic treatise on the subject. Powell cautiously set the limit of successful agriculture without irrigation, the singular art of dry farming was then unknown, at the line of 20 inches of average annual rainfall, and showed the danger that farming must run from frequent droughts east of this line in that belt of the Great Plains trending north and south, which lies between the rainfall lines of 20 and 28 inches, and which he first called subarid. But the name subarid was later, on suggestions received in Washington, changed to subhumid as a less unpleasant term. He recognized an increasing stream supply during a decade previous to the preparation of his report, but instead of explaining it, as many have done, by an increase of rainfall, he ascribed it to an increased runoff due to artificial changes in the land surface. It may be noted in passing that the term runoff, now in general use, was invented by Powell. His correlated term fly-off, for rainfall that is lost by evaporation, has not been adopted. He scouted the idea that any operations of man can have brought about increased precipitation, but added, quote, If it be true that increase of the water supply is due to increase in precipitation, as many have supposed, the fact is not cheering to the agriculturist of the arid region. Usually such changes go in cycles, and the opposite or compensating change may reasonably be anticipated. For if the increase of stream results from an increase of rainfall, we shall have to expect a speedy return to extreme aridity, in which case a large portion of the agricultural industries of the country, now growing up, would be destroyed. Page 91. Powell plainly stated that only a small fraction of the arid lands was available for agriculture, and pointed out that the redemption of the areas that could be irrigated would involve difficult engineering problems far too large for individual farmers, and possible only through cooperative labor controlled by carefully considered legislation. He saw, further, that when all this should be accomplished, only a small portion of the arid region could be cultivated. These principles are well enough understood now, after a generation of experience, but they were novelties when published, and served as needed corrections of exaggerated stories then current. The report on the arid region proposed a five-fold classification of the western public lands, not based on the traditions of the East, but on the facts and conditions of the West. The five classes were named mineral, coal, irrigable, pasturage, and timber lands. With mineral lands, the report had nothing to do. The abundance and importance of lignite coals was briefly stated, 
They were, indeed, regarded as inexhaustible by any population which the country can support for any length of time that human prevision can contemplate. It was recommended that their area should be determined by a thorough geological survey. The areas classified as timberlands were chiefly the higher plateaus and mountains, which have practically no value aside from their forests. But it was explicitly stated that these areas were by no means wholly occupied by standing timber because of the terrible devastation by forest fires. Emphatic warning was given of this danger in the arid region. Most of the fires were ascribed to intentional burning by Indians, who, displaced from lower lands by the advance of white settlers and impelled to hunt fur-bearing animals for trade, deliberately set fire to the forest for the purpose of driving the game. Therefore, the Indians should be removed from the forested areas. The burning of forest in the highlands of the arid region has been on a scale so vast that the amount taken from the lands for industrial purposes sinks by comparison into significance. Powell tells that he had, quote, witnessed two fires in Colorado, each of which destroyed more timber than all that used by the citizens of that state from its settlement to the present day, and at least three in Utah, each of which has destroyed more timber than that taken by the people of the territory since its occupation. Everywhere throughout the Rocky Mountain region, the explorer away from the beaten paths of civilization meets great areas of dead forests. In seasons of great drought, the mountaineer sees the heavens filled with clouds of smoke. If the fires are prevented, the renewal by annual growth will more than replace that taken by man. No limitation to the use of the forests need be made. End quote. Page 17. Quote, Once protected from fires, the forest will increase and extend in value. This protection, though sure to come at last, will be tardy. End quote. It is interesting to note in this connection Powell's unqualified statement that fire is the immediate cause of the lack of timber on the prairies, and the emphasis that he gave to the occurrence of large burned areas in the East at the time of the discovery of America. He wrote several years later, quote, When the lands in the East were plowed, the fires were stopped, and vast regions that were prairies at that time are now forest-clad. Today, 1895, the forests of the United States are somewhat more extensive than they were at the landing of Columbus. National Geographic Monograph 71. In classifying all the lands between the highland timber areas and the lowland irrigable areas as pasturage lands, Powell did not overlook that certain districts are really deserts, too low for timber, out of reach of irrigation, and too dry for pasture. He wrote, In very low altitudes and latitudes, the grasses are so scant as to be of no value. Here, the true deserts are found. These conditions obtain in Southern California, Southern Nevada, Southern Arizona, and Southern New Mexico, where broad stretches of land are naked of vegetation, but in ascending to the higher lands, the grass steadily increases. End quote. The threefold classification, therefore, 
seems to have been for the sake of simplicity. Surely the confident assertion of value in the larger part of the arid region as a cattle-raising country has been abundantly verified. The sparse growth of herbage on the grazing lands demanded large farm units. Powell advised that the minimum be set at four square miles, or 2,560 acres. He further advocated a somewhat ideal plan of settlement in which the ranchmen's homes should be grouped around irrigable tracts so as to secure the benefits of social organization, and, as he thought that fences would not be used, he inferred that the herds must roam freely under local communal regulations. Practice has not always verified these anticipations. Roaming herds have been common on open public lands. But large areas of private lands are now enclosed by long fences of barbed wire, hardly known in 1879. Work for a generation was laid out in Powell's far-sighted treatment of the irrigable districts. He showed that their total area must be small in relation to the vast extent of the whole arid region. He studied the amount of water that an irrigated farm would need, and concluded that a continuous flow of one cubic foot of water per second would serve from 80 to 100 acres. He advised a better construction of canals to prevent the excessive waste that was then almost universal. Streams must be gauged to determine how much land they can serve. Reservoir sites must be reserved against the time when they would be needed to save the winter runoff. But the most significant sentences in this part of his remarkable report concern the danger of monopoly in the ownership of water, and in this respect Powell showed himself a pioneer conservationist. He doubted the wisdom of too rapid enterprise, prompted by the intense desire for speedy development on the part of first-comers, who give little heed to, quote, philosophic considerations of political economy or to the ultimate condition of affairs in which their present enterprises will result if in the eagerness for present development a land and water system shall grow up in which the practical control of agriculture shall fall into the hands of water companies evils will result therefrom that generations may not be able to correct and the very men who are now lauded as benefactors to the country will, in the ungovernable reaction which is sure to come, be denounced as oppressors of the people. The right to use water should inhere in the land to be irrigated, and water rights should go with land titles. End quote, page 41. Quote, the ancient principles of common law applying to the use of natural streams, so wise and equitable in a humid region, would, if applied to the arid region, practically prohibit the growth of its most important industries, because the water there has no value in its natural channel. Water rights are being practically severed from the natural channels of the streams, and this must be done. In the change, it is to be feared that water rights will in many cases be separated from all land rights as the system is now forming. If this fear is not groundless to the extent that such a separation is secured, 
water will become a property independent of the land, and this property will be gradually absorbed by a few. Monopolies of water will be secured, and the whole agriculture of the arid country will be tributary thereto, a condition of affairs which an American citizen having in view the interest of the largest number of people cannot contemplate with favor. The right to the water should inhere in the land where it is used, not to the individual or company constructing the canals by which it is used. End quote. Page 42 and 43. A natural result of this invaluable report was Powell's appointment as a member of the Public Land Commission by the Senate and House of Representatives in 1879. The enormous import of Powell's conclusions may be understood when it is recognized how many of them have been given practical application on a large scale in more or less modified form by governmental bureaus. Land classification and stream measurement are now important functions of our National Geological Survey. The same survey for a time reported upon reservoir sites and upon the area and value of forest, but the latter duty has been given to the Forestry Bureau, under which the greatest efforts are made to secure adequate protection from forest fires. The difficulty which makes this protection tardy, as Powell predicted it would be, not being found in mere problems of administration, but altogether in the failure of a negligent Congress to provide adequate funds for the relatively moderate expense involved. The survey of reservoir sites and the large engineering works, foreseen as necessary for the full development of the possibilities of irrigation, are now conducted on an enormous scale by the Reclamation Service, an outgrowth of a branch of the Geological Survey, and one of the best and most beneficent of our governmental undertakings. The introduction of electric power plants, advantageously installed in connection with irrigation dams, and of immense economic value in using a natural supply of energy that would otherwise be wasted, have only increased the importance of everything that Powell said regarding the necessity of guarding our water supplies from monopolistic control and conserving them for the common good. When all this is appreciated, Powell must come to be regarded as one of our great national benefactors. The opinions of two highly competent judges may here be quoted. Gilbert wrote, in effect, that Powell's report on the lands of the arid regions set forth with marvelous insight the conditions by which the problem of their best utilization is surrounded. His views were discredited at the time, because he announced that only a small percentage of the far west can ever be reclaimed for agriculture. The report raised a storm of indignation, because it characterized as semi-arid the middle belt to the plains, toward which settlement was then tending, yet today it is recognized as a classic treatise. Van Hise wrote in a similar vein, telling how Powell gave the benefit of his knowledge of the arid regions to the legislators of the nation. He saw that the arid lands were a possible great resource to the country, but an exceptional resource, which could not be wisely handled into the common law as it had been developed in humid regions, 
he saw that there was no danger of monopoly of land, but that the real danger was the monopoly of water, that he who controlled the water was the master of the land. Consequently, he proposed broad and statesmanlike legislation for the division of the lands of the West, which are not mining lands, into several classes, and advised that these lands should be controlled by special laws. The suggestions which Powell made regarding the economic problems here treated have been in large measure incorporated into statutes. The effort for reform was complicated by conflicting interests, and at times it was a disheartening struggle. But it is a pleasure to record that during the Major's last sickness, he was able to know of the passage of the Reclamation Act, the most important triumph of the arid lands agitation. End of section 12